With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Under the Helmet. I'm your host, Terrence Biggs. Well, another great week in the APDFL. We didn't get the marquee matchup that we wanted between the Mississippi Dynasty and the Crest City Kings. With the weather, the team smartly thought that it was best that they cancel, which, well, I should say postpone because it's, you don't want to mess with weather considering what happened to Alabama the previous week, so they, that we made up another time. However, in other news, it was pretty much upset Saturday. You had the Georgia Cobras host the Tuskegee Airmen, and via last-second heroics, the Cobras actually pulled off a stunner versus the Airmen. And from all indications, there was a secondary breakdown for the Airmen that cost them this game. It happens. Good teams make mistakes. It happens to everyone. The key to watch now is to see how the airmen respond because 
now you have a loss where other teams in your conference are winning the games that people expect them to win. So this will definitely be a test of Coach John Black and the resolve and the fight that he has in his team. So that'll be a team to watch down the line. Secondarily, we need to talk about the the records from P-Town. They marched into New Orleans and dispatched the Louisiana Lightning 24-14. No one or few saw few saw this coming. It, huh, like the records are the team that no one talks about but just kind of handles their business. In the first couple of weeks, they have wins versus the Predators. They have a win versus the Lightning. These are the kind of wins that might see them, if they continue upon this track, possibly host a first-round home game in the playoffs. Nicholas Hammond, staff, players, they, they're they not the most talkative bunch, but they just go out and play. They're, it's not fancy. It's not fancy at all, but it's effective. For the Lightning, with a new quarterback, a new system, I think Melvin Davis will turn it around and I'm not worried about them because they have a veteran team. They have vets in good spots. Mike Anderson will break this ship immediately. The grudge of the week, we want to go to the Gulf Coast Gators and the Pensacola Jets. Now, with the Jets, huh, the Jets are a hard team because Fred Barnett does an excellent job of Recruiting, he does he, and he promotes his team. They put forth such an effort as far as getting their name in the community. The game was televised. They ran into a hellacious buzzsaw in the form of the Gators last night, or I should say yesterday afternoon. Even though the game was third and the six, and the Gators defense was all over, all over the Jets' backfield, and the Jets quarterback may be one of the toughest players in the APDFL. They beat him left, right, sideways. I would sue, if I were him, I would sue his line for non-support. They just never really blocked for him. And it was just, Eugene Robinson was in the backfield all evening long. This, the pass rush was just relentless and unstoppable and just, but to Kusik's credit, to Kusik's credit, he picked himself up each time. Maybe it's slower and slower, but he stood in there and he stood in that fire. For, Fred has a a quarterback to possibly put the pieces around. And if you're a Jets fan, yes, that was a disheartening loss because they were overmatched by the Gators. But Silver lining in this very dark cloud. You have a quarterback that's tough. He's going to stand in there. He's going to take that shot, and he's going to get up and meet you at at the next snap. The way the league year is starting to kind of turn out, you see a lot of interesting teams here, interesting teams there. We're going to bring on, in a few minutes, Chuck Morgan. He's the coach and owner of the some of Vikings. Chuck has an interesting take on a lot of things, and he poses very interesting questions. He he will have a lot to say. Additionally, we will be joined by 
Matthew Kelly, who's our co-host, and APDFL Commissioner Bernard Hunt. The purpose of tonight, a lot of tonight, will be to discuss the future of semi-pro slash developmental in dealing with the current problems, situations, and issues that plague the the sport as we see it. Where to a casual observer, you just see these as adult men playing football, but if done right, and that's a rarity, semi-pro affords these men opportunities to continue their careers in the arena, going overseas, playing in Canada, getting paid to do this. And we're all going to sit down and kind of hash it out and kind of see what the problem is, identify the problems with players, coaches, and organizations, and try to come to an understanding because I get asked all the time, why does it seem like semi-pro at certain levels they don't seem to work for an extended amount of time? And unfortunately, within this conversation, we're going to probably break a few eggs and probably rough a few, ruffle a few feathers. And for me, it's just, it's not trying to be petty. It's not trying to be difficult. It's more of semi-pro has been good to all of us. It has given some folks the chance to play a little longer after high school, college, whatever. It has given a chance for some to actually parlay these skills into going to college or seeing foreign shores, seeing money in their pocket. It has been good. And those who truly care about it want to see the sport flourish. If we're being honest, it's not flourishing completely. You have three levels of failure currently happening on a mass scale. You have players, owners, and management, and coaching, I should say, who don't seem to take as much pride or as much care into the business as they should, where it's less of a prestige thing, more of a, I got mine, I'm not really trying to do much to further the sport, where each year, semi-pro will see a population of its players stop playing via age, job, some retire, some just, and there's that, there is apparently more leaving than actually entering the, the industry, slowly but surely. In order to stem that tide and reverse that, there needs to be a sound technique as far as garnering more interest and bringing more eyes onto it. That is one of the reasons why we started this podcast, to understand and to elaborate and to elucidate the sport, which has been so good to so many people over so many years. We need to come to a conclusion or come to an understanding that the sport, while not healthy, isn't quite dying either. So it's in that static phase where we need to build it up. So when all of us are old, some of us will be on the beach somewhere in Miami drinking a, a Mai Tai or drinking a beer and being able to watch a tablet and watching their kids and grandkids play, they can sit back and say, you know what, long ago I played or I covered it or I did both. 
It's about building the future so there's a legacy to maintain and to have. And I just don't, I see it as being really difficult to keep going without an honest assessment. While we wait on Chuck, Bernard, and Matt, let's talk about the, just basically like the predictions as far as what I think, how the first, a little bit of the season has gone. I've been surprised as far as, like I said, teams like the Wreckers, even the Alabama Tigers, who, they, like I said, they don't win pretty, and but they win. It, it doesn't have to be aesthetic. It doesn't have to be beautiful. They're fighting for that W, and they show up, and they will keep on. Un, 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 undermanned, but they will fight, and that's the true sign of a top team. And I just think that that's a team to watch out. They may not make that run for the championship this year, but they're going to be a force somewhere down the line. They will shock somebody, just like the records have been shocking people left and right. The Predators are of that same cloth. Got to even throw in the Georgia Cobras, where I, I still can't believe that the Airmen lost. I don't understand. Well, I, I understand. I just don't understand. Just can't comprehend a team of that talent. One, why is that game that even that close? It's you have a skilled offense and you have an emerging defense. You gotta put points and they put them away early. The more you let these teams hang around, the better the chance are someone's going to jump up and bite you. And unfortunately, the airmen suffered a cobra sting last night. Going forward, that loss could be the difference between playing a game on the road in the playoffs or playing a game at home. In home games and road games, everyone knows a semi-pro. If you're playing a home game, you'll show up with more numbers than you get on the road. Some guys are like traveling, or they can't travel due to whatever. Home games are very, very, very important. And I see that I'm I'm being joined. Who is joining me right now? Bernard. This is Bernard Hunt. Bernard is the commissioner of the APDFL, one of the nicest dudes you will ever meet in this whole industry. In an industry of people who talk sideways and out of their mouth, Bernard is an honest, honest man. Bernard, how, how are you doing tonight, my man? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm not bad, not bad. How was uh, New Orleans? It was good. It was good. Uh, you know, the reason for the trip wasn't always the best. We had a... Uh, the league owner passed away, so we went down there to celebrate his uh, his life, and uh, we got to catch the the game between the Louisiana Lightning and the P-Town Records at the same time. Now that is the the owner of the Rampage Will Premise who passed away shortly after the game a few weeks ago. We want to extend our condolences to Will's family and his organization in this rough time. For now, while we wait for Chuck and Matt, let me ask you a question. As someone who oversees a league, what made you want to become commissioner of the APDFL in the first place? 
Well, uh, the mission statement says a lot, and my reason for wanting to do this is is uh, to give guys an extra opportunity, an extra stage to be able to advance, uh, whether it's one of the uh, the college levels or one of the the arena overseas uh, professional levels, whatever the case may be. We're just giving guys the opportunity to advance, and, and at the same time, being able to help some of these guys who are who have nothing else in their life positive and that want to play the game of football. So it opens up another avenue as well. Now, as someone who oversees a league of this size, that team is run from Louisiana to Florida, what has been the most surprising aspect of your tenure? Uh, surprising? One, one thing for me would be the talent, or the main thing for me would be the talent. Um, I, we all understand that there's a lot of talent out there that gets overseen or gets missed for one reason or another. Uh, but the talent that we see in the APDFL is comparable to a lot of D1 schools. Um, and it's, that was the most surprising thing to me. I knew that there would be some, some uh, uh, as they call it, diamonds in the rough out there. Um, but we, we have some talented coaches. We have talented players, uh, top-level organizations. So I think that would probably be the biggest surprise because we never thought that we would see such a great deal of talent that we see now. Of all the leagues I've covered, now I've covered a few in my day. It is one of the most diverse talent bases I've seen. Speaking of diverse talent bases, we are also joined by some of Vikings owner Chuck Morgan. Chuck, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good. Chuck, you got me and Abenara with you. How you doing, Chuck? All right, all right. Chuck, let, let, let me ask you a question. Same one I asked Bernard. You've been around semi-pro, semi-pro slash developmental for a while. What keeps you coming back each year? Uh, well, for me, in the beginning, I'm not going to lie to you, it was chasing the dream. Uh, chasing the dream, trying to get over to arena and hopefully getting maybe a call of the Canadian or whatever else when I was playing. And uh, Once I started coaching, move over to that realm, uh, it was just for the love of the game, just uh, the addiction that football brings on a weekly basis. <laughs> and uh, basically after that, just trying to help other people achieve their goals. Now, Bernard, we Chuck posed an interesting question that kind of led to this whole podcast, like led to this particular topic of just how to improve as far as semi-pro developmental. Now, that question he posed also seemingly have it has like th- three different tiers. You have the players, you have the coaches, and you have the owners. Some some owners are coaches, some are not. Let's start from the player aspect. In one of your responses to Chuck's question, you said that a player should be their own or their best advocate. Can you expand upon that? Absolutely. Uh, a lot of times, you know, the player has got to get out and be an advocate for themselves. If, if your goal, if your ultimate goal here is to uh, advance, be it the arena level or college or wherever it is that you want, your, want, want to ultimately end, and I believe for most, ultimately they want to end in the NFL. And, and realistically, that's that's just a really hard thing to do. It's really hard for a person coming from, say, uh, uh, University of Florida. But for for a person coming from here, that's that's very 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 hard to do. It's it's happened. 
uh, and it will happen again, but it's just hard to do. Um, but you can't do it at all if you're not advocating for yourself. And we have a great level of talent in this league. And one thing that I see often is uh, players waiting for someone else to do something for them. And and you shouldn't do that. Unless you're a player and you've got an agent and you're pay, paying that agent, then you should expect for no one to do nothing for you. Um, yes, you, you have people who are going to, but if you expect nothing, then you will get more in return. Um, and a lot of a lot of players, a lot of athletes don't see it that way, and they, they sit back and they, they assume that they're waiting for the call, uh, but at the same time they're playing PlayStation while they're doing that and eating heavily hash. Um, there's somebody else who, who has is, is on a different level because whether they're in high school trying to go to college or, or they're playing D2 football trying to get to uh, a professional level team, uh, this individual is playing at this level and they're not getting out there and they're not hitting the gridiron and they're not working out in the gym. Uh, they're doing everything but that. You can see on their, their social media where they're, they're getting drunk every Friday night uh, or whatever the case may be, so you're not advocating for yourself. you got to work for yourself for someone else to work for you. I totally agree with that. Chuck, to your point, you both coach and you own a team. If you could just put on your coach hat for a second and look at the players in this league, the players who have played this league, the players who will play this league, even the ones who currently do, when you see a player who complains about not taking the next step and looking at you as a coach – how difficult is it for you not to just turn and look and say, hey, I give you opportunity. Some of this is on you. How do you instill upon the play? Like, look, you have to go out and get this yourself, too. Well, I, I, I agree 100% with what Bernard said. Um, from a player aspect, uh, you, you have to look at it. You, from a coach, you say, hey, I'm trying to do my best step to put you in the best position to win and also to get yourself seen, but in that same thought process, you have to help me. And I guess just put it plain and simple, give me something to market. We all know that, you know, social media is a major thing now. Um, how you look, how you act, you know, like he said, the concept of uh, if I'm telling a guy that comes to my practice or hits me up and say, hey, we got to look at this player, how is this guy? You know, honestly, I'm going to give you, give you the person that, the honest opinion on this person. I'm going to say, hey, he's a hard worker, this, that, and the third, if he's that guy. But then when you look at the social media and you're never posting any pictures in the gym, you're only posting pictures on the block, you know, you, you, you're smoking and you're drinking and you're partying, but they never show you working out, things of that nature. They're trying to see, well, maybe you're just a game day guy, but you may put up numbers in the league, but in that same thought process, they're going to say, hey, you put up numbers, but how can I market him? You know, everybody understands when it comes to these owning a team and being on, on that professional level, it's about how can I market you to my fans? How can I, I put you out there and say, hey, put this guy in a jersey, stand him up on Friday nights in front of fans and media, and how are you going to turn out when they start doing background checks on you? And that's one thing we, we try to continuously tell these guys on a repeated basis. I, I completely agree with that. To, to Chuck's point, you see a lot of players in the APDFL who will, it's funny, you will see them run their miles, you will see them run the streets, but you won't see them post pictures of them trying to run the stairs at, at any football stadium. And to Chuck's credit, 
he, I find myself, I read uh, the I write up they had down in the uh, summer newspaper for the Vikings. If someone in Wisconsin is reading about somebody pro in summer Alabama, that that means somebody's doing something right. The next thing I want to ask you, Bernard, is moving to the coaching level. As commissioner, you've had to deal with a lot of coaches. You've had to deal with, let's just say, not the most pleasant of folk. How do you maintain that calm and that balance of not wanting to tell somebody off who's a coach? Well, I'll tell you, um, I, 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 I try to keep it cool, calm, and collective at all times. It don't always work that way but I try my best. Um, I believe that we have a uh, – one thing that I do as commissioner is I keep a – I've got a, a crew of really good, knowledgeable, level-headed, and football understanding individuals around me. Um, and, and when I say that, I'm talking specifically about our board of directors who uh, each person has their own uh, responsibility and job and I try to, uh, where possible, relinquish as much uh, responsibility to them as possible. Um, and then I don't have to deal with it, just to be honest. Um, but where, where necessary, uh, most of the coaches or most of the owners, I should say, <laughs> within the APEFL, um, uh, they, they are level-headed as well, and they have a great understanding of the game of football. So when, when an issue comes up, most of the time when an issue comes up or an issue arises, we're able to talk about it and uh, collectively come to an agreement. It's very seldom. It happens, but it's very seldom where we have issues that we are not able to uh, conclude, um, you know, with a level head without it becoming an issue. Uh, I, I know that I'm not always right, so when, when someone comes to me, uh, if I don't have the answer, uh, I vow to find it. Um, so I'm not going to tell someone that I know this and I know that and I don't know the answer. Uh, I'll let them know that I'll research it and I'll, I'll find out and then I get back to them. And, and the good thing about the APDFL is our owners do that as well. That is, that is definitely a sound approach. We are also joined by our co-host, Matt Kelly. Matt, how do you know that you got me, Chuck, and Bernard here? Hey, how y'all doing tonight? How you doing, Nard, Chuck? Going all right, all right. Matt, to your, to your point, as a, a former player, I'm not oh, a player. I'm not sure if you're fully retired yet, so we just say player. As a player, where do you think that your uh, fellow players fail or they need to improve upon when they try to ascend to the next level? You played in Auburn. You, you played college ball. You, you, you got your education. How do you think that your contemporaries need to make that next step? Um, for the guys that want to play college ball, the biggest thing that um, coaches now is because there's so many ways to get film out there now, there's so many ways to get in contact with coaches. Their thing is not even harp on athletic ability because they can see that on camera. What they want to know is, are you coachable? Um, are you a, a team player or a me player? And a lot of guys have to realize um, that's the biggest thing about getting to the next step is under, the understanding of putting the we before the me. And you're getting there, you you gotta you gotta see um, can can he sit down there? Does he take this play off? If he's not getting the ball, that's his body language. I know um, 
one recruiter, particularly at, at a major university, um, he's actually one of my mentors. He tells me all the time, he looks at body language when the play is away from a person. Um, or if they're not getting the, they might not be getting the rep that they think they should be getting at that moment because somebody else has a hot hand or they feel like, uh, you know, if it ain't coming this way, I just, I'll, I'll just take the day off. And he doesn't recruit players like that. And he's the recruiting coordinator, like I said, at, at, at an SEC school. And he doesn't, um, he doesn't, he doesn't recruit that. He looks for a guy who goes hundred and a lot of guys don't do that. You see guys, the ball going away from them. They're not going to come off the line. They're not going to try. They're not going to, it's like, oh, I, this is my chance to catch a breather. And, or, um, I'll give you 110% if you're going to keep giving me the ball, but the minute you don't, I'm going to shut down. I'm going to fuss at the coach. The coach don't know what he's doing, da 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 da, da. So that keeps a lot of guys from taking that next step. Um, also, at this level, sometimes it's the comfort zone. Some people don't want to go outside that comfort zone. And, you know, the old saying is you take somebody uh, for you to keep growing, you got to be uncomfortable sometimes. Um I know Bernard has put up several times. I've seen other coaches, players, stuff like that, put up opportunities to get to the next level, and some guys don't even respond. They just, yeah, I want to go to the next level, but you can't. Everybody is not going to Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, stuff like that. And I tell the kids that um, that I coach at the high school that all the time, Whoever gonna offer to help you get to that next level, that's you need to take them seriously. That somebody take the time out of you to consider to bring you into their program. But you get you get people all the time that's comfortable where they're at or they don't want they know more than the coaches. And that that's a big hindrance, especially at this level. So to the same point, Chuck, as a coach, you have a you have a lot of young players with the Vikings. As someone who's yeah. been around the sport for a very long time, how do you maintain your calm as far as dealing with the occasional knuckle-headed player who just won't act right? Um, honestly, I can honestly say, as it stands this year, knock on wood and thank God, we have not had that issue. But we have had that issue in the past, and different levels of one basically trying to figure out why the players is wrong. What's the problem? You know, or is it because you feel like you're being misused, you're not being used enough? Are you playing out of position? Do you have some situations going on at home? What's the problem? <laughs> you know, try to look at it on the outside scope of something bigger than football. And then, of course, sometimes, and I can honestly say, I've actually ran across one of these young men. I've I've played and coached where he's with, played with and coached one of these young men that, you know, you're just an anarchist. Everything around you is just 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 craziness, and that's how you flourish. But it doesn't flourish good with team. So with that being said, um, you got to cut ties sometimes. And sometimes cutting ties is a good thing, you know, for your team and for the player. Players can go somewhere else and maybe flourish. Or maybe they'll end up understanding that, hey, I need to humble myself and come back and, and, and regain focus. So it's just 
part of uh, the learning scope of, of, of coaching, I guess. It's funny you mention that because my other job is to also cover the Oakland Raiders, and one of my one of my friends just came back from the combine, who was also a writer, and we got to talk with a coach from an NFL team, and we were talking about a specific player, very famous, well, should be the first round based on athletic ability. However, we'll go in the second or third round based on the fact that doesn't like to listen, lazy, takes plays off, phenomenally talented, a million-dollar skill set, ten-cent head. Will cost himself anywhere between ten and fifteen, about yeah, about about ten million dollars in his contract by his attitude. Wrecked an, wrecked an interview. Didn't know what he was, just mad or interviews. Just players need to understand that when there's opportunity to advance, it's a job interview. Sometimes your social media is kind of your resume. It's kind of hey, I mean, I'm not saying you got to be a choir boy because none of us are. But you gotta have the understanding that you can't be conducting yourself any kind of way when somebody's trying to help you secure the bag. To the next point, Bernard, since we're you know here, as league commissioner, you've also had to deal with a bunch of leagues. Why do most yeah. leagues tend to either one, fail, or two, just stay stagnant and just stay and just just Tread water, but not ever succeed. In your opinion, uh, I because people people get comfortable. That's why people get comfortable. Uh, I believe that leagues are. One thing I believe is is that leagues come about for the wrong reason. Uh, when they, they come about for the wrong reason, someone starts a league up, um, and and it doesn't succeed simply because people get stagnant or they 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 develop what they're doing in, in the wrong reason. Uh, you, we ha- you have a lot of organizations who form, and they don't even have a business model, and they don't have a business plan. And we've seen this quite often because a lot of times what has happened, we've had individuals uh, request our league bylaws and our league guidelines <laughs> and our mission statement uh, just to, you know, and they, they come about it asking as if they're a team. And the next thing we know, uh, they, they attempt to form a league using our bylaws. And, and that's fine and all. But if you don't know uh, how to go about making those things happen, then all they are are words on a piece of paper, um, and then you set yourself up for failure. So um, I think that's a that's a big reason. Um, the other one is, 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 like I said, I think individuals stay stagnant, they become happy and comfortable, and they don't uh, strive to get better. And that's in all aspects of life. Um, this just happens to be one. But they don't they don't strive to make their league better or to improve on their league. Uh, one thing that we do is we, we spend uh, months, probably we spent a year and a half developing the APDFL before it ever even was announced, let alone stepped on the field. Um, so if, if they're not, if you're not seeking advancement, then you you can improve anytime uh, in any aspect in life when an individual is not improving or they or they're staying stagnant, issues start to develop, and that you know that's our everyday life, and. Uh, Minor league football is no different. No, Matt, to the point of, just to piggyback off what Bernard had said, down south you have the luxury of the, you know, just nice weather. You don't have to shovel like we do up here. But you have the ability to play pretty much year-round. And I'm sure that you've seen other leagues come and go. Why do you think leagues also tend to either struggle or just 
just kind of just float along without any kind of direction. Um, a lot with a lot of leagues I've seen in the past, they kind of are just thrown together, and then it's not an um. It's kind of just like Bernard said, people get comfortable and it's kind of just an acceptance of anything that happens. I've seen where uh, you have a league and week to week, you, you know, you might be scared to play one team, then they call you and say, oh, yeah, you may not play this team. You're going to play somebody You're gonna play somebody else. But you playing for another team that was an hour away, but now you're going four hours away, and you find that out, you know, Friday night before you play. Um Sometimes uh, people don't have a set of rules that they're going to follow. Uh, a lot of corner cutting that, and people don't understand that that hurts a league. Not That doesn't just hurt your organization. That hurts your league entirely. When you have teams that will cut corners, um, you know, Bernard does a good job of making sure the referees know, who, uh, know the rules. Uh, we all understand that you're going to have – sometimes you're going to have referees mess up, stuff like that, but he does a great job with that. But I've seen with leads where they'll go hire one ref, and then he'll just bring some guys. He try to uh, get them together right before the game kicks off and, t- and try to tell them, and they don't know what's going on. Uh, play, where you play at, that, that, that makes a difference between – so if um, – if a league doesn't sit like you, you got to meet these standards for your playing field or facilities and stuff like that. You know, people <laughs> uh, uh, just draw a football field anywhere and say, "Oh yeah, this this is our field. This is where we playing at." And then it's looking, it looks uh, as we like to say in the South, bush league. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you got to you. It's always about little things. Sometimes you got. Teams have to understand, especially players. You know, if you put your money in, sometimes you got to put that little extra in to make sure that you you want your program as a reflection of you. You want people to support. You want your community to support it because you drew a football field in your backyard. Don't mean people gonna support it. But when they see you come out here, everybody helmet painted the same. Y'all all got the same design. All your uniforms the same. Um, your stadium, your 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 playing field. Not necessarily got to be a college stadium, high school stadium, but you know it's a stadium that has, you know, above average or um, facility stuff like that. That all adds up into a community supporting and buying in, and you able to cut the you you can cut corners, you can afford to I mean not cut corners, uh, cut cancers off your team that might be dragging you down because you know you set a standard, but when you don't set a standard, that Teams, that comes from upper management down, from the league, from the top league official down, and that and it just kills the whole thing. I've seen several leagues just go, uh, come and go because of just how the um the precedent was set to, oh, we'll accept this, or we'll accept that, and that's just not how it needs to be. Uh, we were laughing last night about uh we remember the game where somebody went and got generator light, they tried to light a field up. So they wouldn't have to uh, force it. Nobody, so have to feel dark. Nobody wants to play in that. And um, then you start losing players. You start losing folks. So they like, man, I put my money in this to play like this. Nah, I'm good. So. 
Now, Chuck, to you, as someone who has a military background, you served in the Army, correct? Yes, sir. When it comes to order as far as dealing with not just your players but dealing with other owners, how does your military background help you? Um, I've learned. In, in the beginning, uh, I'm not going to lie to you, coming out as a coach and dealing with some of the guys, uh, other coaches and other owners and stuff before I became a coach and just was helping out. I had to the, the throttle down my military standards and not saying it in a bad way, but just understanding that a lot of guys that we're dealing with haven't been through that structured environment. So with them not being through that structured environment, being accountable and holding people to a standard and, and, and upholding it sometimes gets gets you put into a bad vibe and gets your bad name out there for you until people start to understand what you're trying to exactly do. But as far as I stand now as a coach and as an owner, um, using my military background, just being able to be diverse and be flexible but yet still stern and understand, hey, this is the standard. These things need to be done. And, and just going with it. That makes sense. Now, same or similar question to you, Bernard. As someone who won, had to play in the frozen tundra of Aroto Maine and served in the Navy, how did the military and playing so far north in the frigid temperatures shape you as far as being a commissioner of the league, as far as how you approach owners? Well, one thing with the military, let me say, is uh, the military saved me, man. Uh, I can't, I can't give enough thanks and gratitude uh, to joining the military. Um, for me, I'm, I'm a, I'm an old head, and back when I was in school, you know, uh, if you got in trouble, you, you tend to get an option of either going to the military or uh, going to the legal system, and, and I was able to go into the military, and that's what I did. Um, so it, it shaped me, it turned me into a young man at that time, and taught me uh, responsibility and attention to detail, which being the biggest was attention to detail. Um, so with that, uh, every every time something took place in the military that I didn't like, I, I went to uh, Chuck with no. Uh, I went to a lot of marching parties. And marching parties are when you've done something wrong and you get in trouble and you have to go PT. Uh, you're made to PT for three to four hours a day. Um, I spent a lot of time at those marching parties. And uh, my my theory or my motto during that time was everything was, was just making me a better football player. And uh got to the point where, where I just stayed in the military and, and uh, re-enlisted and when I got out, was, was blessed with the opportunity uh, to, to get a walk-on scholarship, and, and I did that. Um, so when I went to when I went to Orono, Maine to play football, the 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 younger guy that I was was a totally different individual than it was at that time. I probably would have struggled with it when I was younger, uh, but when I when I stepped on campus in Orono. Um, my biggest and only struggle was exactly what you stated, the frigid temperatures. I remember my first day there, we had practice at 6 a.m., and I refused to leave my dorm room because it was so cold. And me coming from Tampa, Florida, you know, I was, I was, I'm from Tampa, and uh, going to Orono, Maine just wasn't entertaining at all. 
Um, so that that cold, I think it was probably, I think it was like 10 degrees below zero my first day on campus, and, and there was no way I was leaving my dorm room. Um, but I was able to dig down and, and, and bring out that, that responsibility and attention to detail that was taught to me in the service, um, and it just it made a better me. So everything that I was able to, I, I, I went there and tried to be a sponge. At, the same, at that time, I was the second oldest player in college football. The only player older than me was Chris Winky from Florida State. Um, so I, I was able to uh, have some maturity uh, that the other players on my team didn't have. Uh, I had that military background. So I instantly became a, a, a verbal leader on the team, and, and that was as a walk-on at that time. Um, so it was, you know, it, it the military taught me a lot, built a lot in me, uh, and really uh, played a big role in who I am today. Now, Matt, to your point, as someone who played at Auburn, I mean, playing in the SEC, you have to have your head on right, because they will, I mean, it is not the easiest conference to break into. What did being a tiger as far as the disciplinary process teach you after you left the plains? Um, it, it taught me uh, accountability along with uh, I need a reserve right after I left too so um, it taught me accountability it taught me uh, the biggest thing is you learn that there's uh Bernard knows this as well and took a lot of um it's not just about you anymore. Everybody nobody's gonna baby you. Once you get out of high school and you go to to the college game and stuff like that, the babying is over. So uh, what I did from there uh things, it was a lot of you didn't wanna you didn't wanna do right, you know, you always hear in ESP and stuff like that. A players in a doghouse. Well, you don't want to be in a coach's doghouse because that means the coaches have gone from joking with you, talking with you, checking on you to, oh, you on the team, but you really not part of the team. You just over there. You do a lot of. Uh, we did a lot of boards. We did a lot of um, waterfalls, gases, burnouts, um, stuff like that. And and you know we already like Bernard said, you got to be there at six thirty in the morning. Well, if you that disciplinary uh, problem, you got to be there at six, and you don't leave to you there thirty minutes early. You don't leave to thirty minutes after everybody else, and um, you learn real quick that you only get you only get uh, really two chances to to right the ship, and um, you learn very quick. Hey, I gotta I gotta. Do this. I gotta do this right. I gotta do this right. I gotta do this right. And uh, it also taught me to always be be aware um, that people are uh, paying attention even when you uh, are outside of your element. You know, uh, the definition of a character is what you do when people ain't paying uh, paying attention, and uh, when you're not in the spotlight. So. Um, we they taught me real quick, you know. It'd be some stuff. I remember my uh, the coach pulled me in his office. I had been joking in the student uh, union, and you know it wasn't anything bad. It was just one of the uh, professors came and said we were just loud, 
and he just remembered I had on my football stuff and my number. He told me, he said, you know, he said, people always paying attention. And he burned me out for about a uh, for about a week, week and a half. And um, it was just, at, at that moment, I was like, man, I don't never want to do that again. Because not only that, you got 130 other teammates that see it. And they're like, and you you get the example. Nobody else is in trouble. You in trouble. You the one. At that um, so you quickly, I learned, hey, man, do what's right. Do it right and, you know, stay out of the way. Keep trying to get better. Because every year you can be replaced. Every year there's an 18-year-old that's bigger, faster, stronger that's coming in. Your your position, you don't want to get with the program and you don't want to do right, you don't want to follow the, the disciplinary standard that's set for it, you can be replaced. You know, the the scariest time is right after bowl season when, the, when they bring you in and they say, you know what, this just ain't working out. And you don't know what you want to do next. You hoping another school gets to you because before those schools take you in, they're gonna call the, the coach and say, "Well, what was he doing?" Yeah, coach, he he don't want to go to class. He don't want to act right. He fussing with the coaches. He's fighting with the coaches. He doing this. If y'all want him, he he more headache than his athletic ability allows. Sometimes your athletic ability will let them just kind of deal with it. But then sometimes they just say, you know what, it ain't even working. So it just taught me, hey man, just do what's right. Be coachable. Listen to what people saying. Take advice. Be able to be uh, corrected when you're wrong. Be able to try to understand what you did wrong. So it's um that that's what it really taught me about uh, with the disciplinary process. And I just didn't want to be up no earlier than I had to be. <laughs> as, we, as we kind of look forward to like the future of semi-prone developmental. In my research, I've looked and I've seen that, one, there are too many damn uh, national championship games where you have obscure leagues that are playing a quote-unquote national championship that you've never heard of. You, you see a team, you see a league from far out with like four teams playing a team that you have never heard of with eight losses or five losses. It just... But I also came across something called the Tournament of the Champions, which is kind of interesting. It's an interesting concept where the biggest leagues will send their champion to face each other in a true national championship. Chuck, t- to you, how important do you think for the future of similar pro slash developmental would a true national championship be? Oh, I think it's very important. And the reason I say that, I personally have played uh, it was a small leagues when I played for the Rough the, the Orangeburg Rough Riders out in South Carolina. We played in kind of a small league, maybe four or five teams. You go undefeated in ten games, playing everybody twice, and basically you uh, play a team from. You get an invite, and you either you either go to their house or they come to you. And you play a team from probably up north, New York or New Jersey, maybe Ohio, and you call yourself a national champion. And I've also, you know, played in the SFL when I played for the Atlanta Aggression, the South Atlanta Blue Wings. And uh, we played in a league somewhat similar to this where it was 15 teams and we played in the championship tournament after the season was over with. And, you know, it was still all East Coast, you know, East Coast and the South. I I, I really dig this concept of, of the tournament of champions where 
you know, hopefully one day it'll be the Seven Vikings, but right now the Mississippi Dynasty playing a, a, a team out of Texas or California, you know, uh, one of these undefeated teams from Texas or California or, or the Magic City Bulls from down in South Florida or the Orlando Phantom playing after the season's over with and can deem who is really a true champion, you know, not just, you know, having 4,000 undefeated teams and everybody having a ring saying national champion. No, let's, let's see who it is on the field. You know, let's see the best against the best and, and go and give the coaches and the organization something to strive for. It makes the leagues look that much better. Because, like, right now, I'm not going to lie to you, we're not top tier in our league. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to we're climb up the, up the rankings. But to know that we're in a league with the number one team in the Southeastern Conference, in the Southeastern region, makes, makes it just that much better. You know, because that, it makes us feel like, hey, we're in, a team, we're in a league competing with the number one team in the Southeastern Conference, in the Southeastern area. That means we can go to one of these smaller leagues and dominate. So it gives us something to strive for. So I think that makes it – the national championship, putting it all together and bringing everybody into this one will give us a lot more notice and put people on blast and let us know, hey, these guys are serious. You know, let, let's start putting them in school. Let's get them to the next level. Let's start paying them to play. Yeah, I agree with that. Bernard, to you, as a commissioner of the APDFL, and you have something interesting and intriguing like the tournament of champion concept and the format come up, what do you think it'll take for other leagues to jump on board? Well, I mean, let me say this first. I think the tournament of champions idea is absolutely amazing. You know, if, if we look at it, if you think about uh, college football, NCAA, First, everyone wants to be like the NFL. Um, okay, everyone wants to be like the NFL, but that's one league. Uh, you look at the, the NCAA, and you have all these different leagues in the NCAA, and that's no different than minor leagues. There's a bunch of different leagues. The leagues are, are not necessarily ranked, but they are viewed differently. Uh, you know the MEAC and the SEC are totally viewed differently. Um, and that's, that's no different than minor league. Um, and I, I think it's a great idea. That way, not only do you have a league such as the APDFL, which is considered to be uh, one of the top tier leagues, uh, playing their inner league games, you also have that with one of the leagues that's not considered to be top tier. And if you think about it, we've seen uh, in, in the NCAA football, we've seen smaller schools, if I remember correct, Georgia Southern defeated Florida a few years ago. Um, and that happens quite often. Uh, so to do something like that, I think, is great. Uh, with the Tournament of Champions, you're getting the champions from each league or, or championship teams from each league and competing them in tournaments or bowl games or however it's set up uh, to, to determine a national champion. You can't beat it. I mean, it's absolutely – you can't beat it. I think that's great. Um, I think one thing that, that would be amazing because – what tends to happen within leagues that I notice is uh, with these other championships that go on uh, throughout the season are you see uh, players from other teams get on a team that won their league champion and try and stack the team. Um, but for these teams to maintain their rosters, just as you see in NCAA, for them to maintain their rosters uh, to enter the tournament of champions, 
will truly give us a true champion um, as long as this is uh, nationwide. And, and let me say, because I know uh, one thing that um, would be discussed or one thing that uh, some teams would have issues with is um, not all teams are created equal and not all leagues are created equal. So, for instance, in the APDFL, our teams travel. Um, so they, they travel uh, at least one distance game a year, and, and that's a game of distance. So uh, with the Tournament of Champions, you would have uh, – I, I, I assume that you'd have, you know, some, some travel because you got teams out in the East Coast and teams in the West Coast. There'll be some sort of travel that has to take place. Um, so I think that would probably be the one hiccup or the one concern that other organizations would, would have with it. But if that's the case, why not the leagues? If, you know, if you're, if you're a top league or a top-tier league, league do something to, to assist their teams in their travel. You're only talking about one, two, possibly three top teams in your league. So um, that's something that I would be more than happy to, to go to the, the table with uh, and discuss with other other commissioners and league owners uh, to, to bring to fruitation. Now, I mean, that is, that is, those are all excellent points. Matt, as, as a player, how intriguing would that be to go from playing in Alabama to possibly playing in Phoenix, playing in Los Angeles, playing in Vegas? I mean, that would be real intriguing. Again, that's, that's, it's a great concept. I, I've kind of seen the tournament champions. Um, it, gives you, it gives you more exposure. It, again, takes teams out of that comfort zone, make sure that they're putting the best product on the field. Because a team from Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, Georgia don't want to travel to Las Vegas and look like a crap show. You know what I mean? And uh, it also, again, it sets that standard. Like, we're we're a brand now. The APDFL is a brand. So, you know, it, it, it really sets that standard. Because you have somebody go out there from my league and win it. Now it's, hey, uh, everybody else got to step up. Because now you, you, not only are you trying to win the championship here, you're trying to go represent this entire league and show that you, you're not only the top dog over here, but you're the top dog all the way around. So um, I definitely like that concept. I definitely think that would be a great thing that if uh, we get it, I know it will, uh, Bernard knows it, it, a lot of sponsor dollars will, will, could make that possible. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, um, but like what Chuck says, I also played in the league in South Carolina too. And, um, I actually played with the Greenville Simmons. You know, um, okay. Um, I, I know about the CCFL and the CFA. And they used to play a quote-unquote national championship against somebody out of Florida all the time. Um, and you know, I I used to kind of joke. I'm like, well, I guess it's a national, you know, it's a it's a national championship because um, you went outside there. But then you know, a few years ago, you had teams like uh, the Wichita Fall Nighthawks, uh, Oklahoma. Thunder, Oklahoma uh, uh, City uh, Bounty Hunters, uh, Fresno Valley Vipers, teams that I knew that would dominate not with uh, the Dallas Anarchy, stuff like that. And, um, 
you know, those teams, like, well, shoot, we national champions, too. Y'all hadn't came over here and played us, you know what I'm saying? And um, I know the GDFL uh, a few years ago, they tried something like that, but uh, it kind of it faltered uh, a little bit. You had teams uh, forfeiting in the playoffs, you know. Uh, the team from Pennsylvania had to come down to play the team in Jacksonville, Florida. And they were just like, no, nah, we ain't going to do that. Or a team from Albany, New York, talking about they had to come to uh, Huntsville, Alabama to play. And it's like, uh, yeah, no, nah, we'll meet y'all halfway. But we don't have that type of uh, uh, funding. But, it, um, you know, I think it would be a great concept if all the lead, you know, if all the champions of leagues or the commissions of the leagues could get together and figure out how to make that work. I agree. I totally agree with this. Now that we have covered so much serious ground, I like to end the show with three or four fun questions because, well, life is too short in the city to be serious all the time. We have a Navy vet and an Army vet. Having to grow up in my house, my father was a Marine, so he was a Navy fan. My uncle, Army guy, stationed in a Schofield Barracks. I had to watch that game every year between them. I couldn't cheer because if something happened, I would get the look from either one of them. So, Bernard, as a Navy fan, who is your favorite Navy football player of all time and why? Roger Staubach. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like I said, I'm an old head, um, and and I love old old time football. And Roger Staubach was was by far the best person, best player to come out of Navy, uh, and and has been my favorite or one of my top two favorite quarterbacks of all time. Ooh, who's the other one? John Elway. Oh, really? Come on, though. <laughs> yeah, man. Yes, indeed. I love dual threat quarterbacks, man. <laughs> Chuck, as someone who has served in the Army proudly, who is your favorite Army player of all time? Man, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Until probably year 10, I really cared nothing about the Army-Navy game. Only because it was like, I, I only because... You know, I, I spent a little time at Ole Miss. I, I played a little bit for Tommy Tomerville. You know, never really got to see a lot of game time for real, for real, but I played. I, I was able to go up there to go to school with him. And I just always focused on the Egg Bowl. I never cared about anything else but the Egg Bowl. And, of course, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, because my father was a giant Michigan fan. And with me being from Miami, of course, Miami versus Florida State. When I really started getting into the, the Army-Navy rivalry, it was just – it was never a certain player. It was just always I was always just enamored by the the, the linemen for both teams. I just, I just love these guys only because I know what a D one lineman looks like, and I know what a captain in the army looks like, <laughs> and I know none of those guys match up. But yet these guys that are going to be captains in the army, captains in the navy, and captain you know. And Marines, whatever else, are lined up and banging heads on a regular basis as offensive linemen. So I just, or defensive linemen, I just love that to death. I love the death. And the fact that, you know, it just always made me mad because the Air Force used to always whoop both of us anyway. 
So it really never mattered. <laughs> Dude, that was the truth. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now, Matt, to you, as far as someone you know who had played at Auburn with Howard Greiner, who was your favorite Tiger of all time? My favorite Tiger of all time? Uh-huh. All time. The guy. And got 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 to be both. Yeah. Still? <laughs> gotta be. It's gotta be. I I could give you a top five, but both. Okay. Because uh, if I did a top five, uh-huh. you would have to both Cam, Carlos Rogers. Oh. Running Cadillac. Oh. Okay. David Craigner. Huh. Uh, Damian Craig somewhere in there? Stan White? Somebody? Damian Craig is a close. Damian Damian is a close, close, close five. But the um the you know Carlos running and um and Carlos running and uh Carnell, yeah. those they they all were there when I was playing and and Travis um supposed to be a, a close uh five. I mean Travis would be a close five too. But you know, when I got there, uh, coming out of high school, I you know I felt like there weren't too many DBs that could touch me. Well, Carlos proved that wrong very quick to a very young and naive freshman. Ah, that's and, a new uh, touch. <laughs> <laughs> he uh he kind of the freshman decided that he was gonna try to run a post on Carlos and he never got off the line. And oh, he, no. he was seven yards out of bounds. See, <laughs> see, no love for like, uh, yeah, uh, Tracy Rocker. No love for like uh, Tommy Ag, okay. like the old heads, like the the vets of the Arbor family. Oh yeah, I I love I love all of them, but those 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 guys there, all of them kind of set uh, um, a presence. One old lineman, Ed King. I gotta definitely give it to him. Um. Uh. Marcus Curry is another one. There's uh, one old head. Uh, Jesse Owens. Not he. Uh, James Owens. Excuse me. I said Jesse. James Owens. First, he was the first black player at Auburn. He uh, he died about uh, two years ago, but he come he came back every year and talked to us. He never missed a game. Did all he did all that. He he came and did all the stuff, and he always. Reminded us that it was it was bigger than a game, it was bigger than football, it was it you know it was more to life, and you know he always emphasized education, so you know he's in a whole nother stratosphere versus everybody else. He he's now, one of those guys you walk you walk in, it's everybody shut down. Exactly. Now, uh, Bernard, someone who is a a Florida Gator fan, mm-hmm. two questions first. Favorite coach, Spurrier or Herbert Meyer or a uh, Gator Hall? Either one of the three. Spurrier. Really? I, Not Herb? Spurrier. What That's about Spurrier? Favorite. Is it? Well, I, I love his offensive style. I love the way he puts up points. He's been able to do that uh, everywhere he went, with the, with the exception of Washington, of course. Um, but he's doing it now with AAF. Um, I just I love his coaching style. He's he's funny. Um, you know I think he went out to South Carolina when he left Florida, 
he he went out there and was able to do good things. I just he, I think he's a great coach, man. He made it relevant. He made South Carolina relevant, which is difficult to yeah. do. <laughs> Chuck, to you, as someone born in Miami, and I guess you grew up a, a Hurricanes fan. No, actually, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't. I, I I became a Hurricanes fan when I got to high school. I was a, a diehard Notre Dame fan coming up. I played oh, running yeah. back in high school. I played running back in high school, running back in DB, and and my favorite player in the world of all time was Jeff Burris. He played running back in the T and played cornerback and safety everywhere else, and I I love that. But when I started going to camps is when I fell in love with Miami. I started going to camps and stuff around ninth, tenth grade, and you start going to these camps, and these same guys that were playing on Saturday and and, and the guys that were playing on Sunday back then it was Al Blades and those guys. Michael Irvin, they're coming to the camps and working out like regular college kids or high school kids. So it was like, you know, you you walk in the weight room and you see a young Ray Lewis lifting weights with, with Jesse Olmstead and Michael Irvin. And, you know, it was like, wow, this is what college is like. I've got to go to the U. <laughs> I've got to go to the U. And I've just been a fan ever since. My first exposure of the U was going to watch – Nebraska might be played in the 1991 championship. And just being a kid, being 16 years old and being in that stadium, I have never seen at that point in time players that fast. Just the speed. Like being from, being from Connecticut, you're not used to offensive linemen being able to pull and just, just annihilate, just, just destroy people downfield. And like you're watching a guy built like the number eight outrunning a quarterback to the edge. I'm, I just I just did what to say. It's it's that speed that just, just just floors me. And it just it's wild to me. Back to you. Who is the most underrated tiger of all time? Uh that definitely gotta be that's gotta be between um they got to be between Damian and Jason Campbell. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got got to be. What what? See, this is what people uh about Jason. This is why you have to like if if you really do a deep dive into our our program, you really respect Jason a lot. People don't realize Jason came in. And became a starter as a uh, he registered his first year, became a starter uh, for four years. Jason had four different offensive coordinators in four years. Produced every year. Did what he's supposed to do. He was a he was a leader, but he was overshadowed by running in Cadillac. Uh, um, Jason, people forget, was still a first round draft pick. Um, kind of went through the same thing when he got to Washington <laughs> with the coaches' turnover, but he could have judged. Um, only reason we go undefeated in 2004, in 2004 is Jason made a great read against LSU. Um, their corners got greedy, and he found Courtney Taylor in the, in the back corner. And we're, and we're down 9-3 to three with about a minute left. 
Um, I always tell people Jason could could read the defense when they every time we got a new offense coordinator, Jason got into that the playbook and he he knew it. He could tell you what everybody's supposed to be doing at the same time. Um, just it, just a great all around leader, Damian. I just think Damian uh, just don't get enough credit. <laughs> uh, sure. He 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 is the reason that a lot of kids from Mobile come to Auburn. You know, he he's the guy that they um that they they love. Most Mobile players come in. That's who they following behind. Uh, I hate that he's not on our coaching staff. And you know, all the former players we we harp on that all the time. The, the one when they did bring him in, they didn't treat him right. And um, we really hate that, but we still advocating for them to bring him back. He's he's a a, a masterful recruiter, and he's a, a great all around player. But those are probably the um, the two most underrated uh, players. Uh, if you ask some other people, they might say Brandon Jacobs was the most one of the most underrated players. You know, yeah, he went and won two Super Bowls with the Giants. But we also had to remind people, Brandon Dacre was fourth string at Auburn. He was just there at the wrong time. <laughs> now, uh, Bernard, for you as a Gator fan, you've, you've seen a lot of opposing uh, quarterbacks come in. Mm-hmm. I'll give you four. Pick the one that you cannot stand the most, the one that gets on your nerves the most, as far as Gator opponents. Are you ready? Peyton Manning, David Green, Tim Couch, Eli Manning. Uh, it's hard between those Manning brothers. I'd probably say Peyton. I'd probably have to go with Peyton Manning. Just couldn't stand him? Yeah, I, I just couldn't, and and the reason is because he just won, you know, um, and and that's we we could have uh, Peyton. I, I just don't like Peyton Manning, man. I mean, he's a great quarterback. You can't take nothing from him. So I don't like. It's not his game that I don't like, especially in in college when he was at Tennessee. Um, it, it was just I don't know. I just didn't. I don't like Tennessee though, so I'm sure that had a whole lot to do with it. Um, but yeah, he, it, I'd have to go with with Manning. Wow. Now, to, to to that same question, Bernard, like to a similar question, favorite uh, Gators running back to watch, Fred Taylor or Emmitt Smith? Emmitt Smith. You, you can choose one. Emmitt Smith. I like Fred Taylor as well, but I'm a, I'm a, and now you got at the NFL level, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Uh, so there's that Roger Starbuck. That's, 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 only, that's the only team in the NFL. Absolutely, what? I agree. I absolutely agree. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, Emmitt Smith, man. I'm a diehard Emmitt Smith fan. Yes, indeed. Now, Chuck, to you, as someone who played at Ole Miss, i got to ask you a question. You uh, keep up with the team, correct? I try, yes. It's hard no. nowadays with all the trouble. <laughs> this is my this is my issue with all this. Robert Kibdichi, Tunsil, UK Metcalf, Demarcus Lodge, AJ Brown, 
uh, Braylon Speaks. These are all players that have come through Oxford. Why aren't they better? Why why the oh why does it all this with more? Oh wow. I I can honestly say uh most likely it probably just conference one. It it is hard. You 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 not um out recruiting <laughs> Honestly, uh, Ole Miss just really started winning the state. It used to be, you know, when I when I came through and I was getting there, yeah, Tumbleville was doing his thing, but Jackie Sherrill was dying at Jackson, uh, uh, Mississippi State, and he was running the show. And then we had Crumb down there, you know, first black SEC coach. He was doing his thing. Um, you can't compete with the, the, the good old, old narrative of back at that time you had Steve Spurrier, you had uh, uh, Phil up in Tennessee. They were doing their thing, and now the the, the world belongs to <laughs> Nick Saban. It's hard. <laughs> it's just hard <laughs> to get to, to get and keep good guys in the state. And when it comes time to recruit at these 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 uh, funnel states like uh, maybe Texas and maybe uh, Florida, it's hard to get in there to infiltrate. You know, when you have, hey, you can come to us and win that championship, or you can go over here and maybe get to a bowl game. <laughs> That's all fault. It's true, man. Now, back to you. How does how does Gus keep his job constantly? <laughs> hey, man, if you can if you can tell us, man, we <laughs> if you can tell us, Gus, you know what? I give you the good old boy system. How about this? You wanna know how just keep you wanna know how just keep his job? Jimmy Sexton. Still? You know who Jimmy Sexton is? Agent. Agent. Jimmy Sexton represents, I think, nine of the fourteen coaches in the NCC. He does. Yeah. <laughs> he uh that's how he keeps his job. That's exactly how he keeps his job. Uh Jimmy, Jimmy, um, Jimmy is the power, the power agent for the SEC. Like everybody knows, and we know when he show up on your campus, you know he's gonna try to break the bank on you. Yeah, <laughs> that's just wow. what it is. That is true. That is true. Now, Bernard, to you as someone who grew up in Tampa, I have to ask this question because you and I have talked about this. You grew up in Florida. Hope is everywhere. Warm weather on the Gulf. You don't like seafood or fresh fruit. Explain why. <laughs> well, I don't eat seafood because I'm allergic to it. So that's, okay, that's, that's fair. fair. Yeah, that's fair. Seafood allergy. Um, but fresh fruit. There's a story behind that, man. I used to love fresh fruit, and uh, it was actually before I even moved to Tampa. I was living in. It's part of the reason why my family moved down south. Uh, I lived in Maryland at the time, and, and I was playing Pop Warner. My Pop Warner uh, team, football team, had made it to the state champion or to the national championship. And the game was played down in uh, Orlando, Florida. So we, we uh, on the way down there, we picked up some guy had some fruit salad. And t- it was like a 26-hour ride, and I ate some of it. And then we got to Florida. I'd fallen asleep. Woke up. We were in Florida. Uh, and, and the night that we got there, I ate some of that fruit salad. Now, mind you, this fruit salad had been sitting in the car, so 
it had gone bad, but I'm a kid. I wanted some fruit, so I ate some of it. Um, okay. And I got sick. And so the next day, I was I was the starting quarterback of the football team, of, the, of, of our team, and uh, I got in the game long enough to take one snap so that I could start. And the rest of the game I spent on the sideline puking. And uh, so it, it, it actually scarred me, man. It left a – I – since then, and I was probably nine, ten years old, but since then, I have not been able to eat fresh fruit without puking. So I can't eat fresh fruit. Um, since then, I haven't been able to eat fresh fruit without getting sick in some sort of fashion. Um, so I just, I just don't eat it anymore. If, it's, if it comes in a can or it's in a bottle um, that, that I can blend up, I'm good. But it's a psychological issue. Okay, that's fair. Okay, that's fair. Now, Chuck, to you, as somebody from Miami, right? What's yes, the sir. one? What's the wood food that you miss about back home? Oh, man, that goes without saying. And I'm sorry, Bernard, but it's a shellfish, and we call it cook. I love it to death. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just had to go home, you know, uh, I, I hate to say it, put it in this context, you know, kind of sad, somber moment, but I just had to bury my mom, and I had to go down there to Miami, and I promise you, I think I ate cook. We were down there for four days, I ate cook for three of them. <laughs> Fried or grilled? Oh, fried, all the way. But, but you know, honestly, I'm a true Floridian. I eat it fried. I eat it grilled. I eat it raw and cooked salad. I'm, I am Ooh. all the way in. <laughs> I'm all the way in. No, pass. Pass on the, on the raw finish. No. Uh, outside of, like, having, like, fried cook, do you are you a, a, a grouper fan? Uh, really, with the fish, I'm really I can deal with grouper more, you know, tilapia things of that nature. Uh, it's more, you know, kind of just the, the whole seafood thing down in Miami. You just you just love it. The crab legs, the the conch, the 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 ake, the the just all of it. Cause, you know, you get a whole bunch of different genres in there. Whether it's you know uh, Jamaican or Caribbean or, or, or Cuban, just I just the food itself is just <laughs> now, well, I have, to you, sorry, I'll go ahead. I was going to say, for the record, I ain't never eaten nothing called conk. It's actually not bad, like fried, but raw and salad. No, I got to pass with that one. I, I, don't, I don't do sushi. Oh. Uh-uh. The best time you can get it is you can get somebody to cut it up in front of you with the lime and the onions and everything like that. Oh, man, it is just. Ooh, it's lovely. I'm about to pass it on. Matt, as someone who has had to travel around the SEC, just even on vacation, what's the one food you had on a vacation that you wish you could bring back to Alabama right now? Um, ooh. Man, it's got to be anything from Louisiana, man. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Louisiana, Louisiana, man, it just the the gumbo tastes different. The shrimp etouffee tastes different. Just the low country boils taste different. Everything is just different. <laughs> I don't, uh, that 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 Gulf Coast of Florida, all the way over to the Bayou. If if I could just move all that food and get it prepared like it's prepared down there to where I'm at now, I'd be great. <laughs> Now, to you, Bernard, as as like I know that with the thing with the fruit, but what's your 
what's your go-to dessert? Like the one thing that if you're at a party or a family get-together that you, you see a plate of this, you have to have some. Um, for dessert? Yep. Uh, I'd probably say, and you and you actually had this on one of your previous calls, um, I would probably say that pecan pie. Ooh. Even over uh, Peach Cobbler? Peach Cobbler. Yes, indeed. I'm going with the pecan pie. Ooh. See, I told you. <laughs> I told you. Oh, wow. Now, Chuck, now, Chuck to you. As somebody from Florida, you have had your chance of being able to eat key lime pie like the best in the world. Are you a fan, or is there another dessert that you like? I am not a fan. I'm not going to lie to you. I, it, it was made and, and purchased and things of nature in my house, but both of my parents are, uh, I would say, dare to say, kind of country. So I am a sweet potato pie guy. <laughs> I, 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 for a very long time, for the first 18, 19 years of my life, I didn't eat any other dessert but sweet potato pie until I went to the Army, and nobody makes that. The only thing they have is apple. So that's what I had to eat when I was able to eat a dessert once I got in, out of basic training the AIT. <laughs> but other than that is go-to sweet potato pie. I It's funny. Like, being in Wisconsin, I've been here for 15 years. I've had two – I've had probably – Three slices of pie, three slices of sweet potato pie in 15 years. I ate that pie like I was about to dough my own fingers off. I can. <laughs> Last question to to each of you. First, I'm starting with um, Bernard. What is the most overrated movie you've ever seen? The one movie that everyone loves that you like? Oh, this movie's trash. Um, uh, Pulp Fiction. Whoa, 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 whoa! Wow. wow. Wow! Wow! Yep. Hey, but no, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. I didn't even hear the why. You see, hey, and listen, y'all like Pulp Fiction, don't you? Yes. Right. See, overrated. Most overrated (laughs) movie out there, man. (laughs) What makes it overrated in your eyes? It's just I thought it was cheesy. I thought it was real cheesy. I don't know if it was supposed to be action or comedy or what. Cla- what did they cla- cla- classify it as? It just to me, it was overrated. That's fair. Chuck, to you. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with Titanic. Oh, thank now, you. you. Yes. A- yes. I'm gonna go with Titanic. Just hours of my life that I could ever, never, ever get back. <laughs> it just. Oh my God. <laughs> and between that and Waterworld, I, I've lost six hours of time that I would never ever receive back. Back. Uh, man, they, they, they the Titanic kind of took. I'm gonna have to go with uh, watch, watch out, y'all gonna hate me. Star Wars. What? <laughs> What? <laughs> no. I cannot get into it, man. I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. I cannot get into Star Wars, man. Like, hey. people be like, man, I'm going to see the new Star Wars. I'm like, oh, okay. And like, yeah. you know, no. <laughs> I said, I've tried. I've tried every time. 
I even tried when they rebooted it. I've tried, man. I tried. <laughs> See. See, the force is not with Matt today, apparently. Uh, <laughs> for me, I would have to agree with Chuck and say Titanic. I remember when that film came out and being like 23 years old and having to go to that movie because of an obligation. I'm just leaving it at that because it was a proposition if I went to the movie. So I sat through it three hours knowing that if I sat through the movie, happiness would befall me that evening. So I took the three-hour L to succeed at a later time in the evening. But other than that, Titanic was the most overweight ever. I cheered for the iceberg. Yes. <laughs> I agree. If you want to know something funny, they did a, they did a, a top-rated movie, and Titanic was number one is the most overrated movie ever. <laughs> I agree. Gentlemen, I want to thank each and every one of you. Bernard, Chuck, and Matt, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I had a fantastic time this episode. Best of luck to you, Chuck, with the, you and the uh, Vikings. You play the Tuskegee every the Saturday night? Yes, sir. 7 o'clock. Good luck. Good luck, good luck to you. Be there. I, need a front, I need a front row seat. Hey, come on down. We ready for you. 7 o'clock. Be there. Thank you so much. Bernard, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of the of Under the Helmet. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Next. Good night. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.